Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Northridge Church. My name's Aaron Hickson. I'm our Henrietta campus pastor. We're so glad that you're joining us. No matter which of our four Rochester area campuses that you are joining us from or the hundreds of people who join us each week online, we're glad you're here. I do, of course, want to give a special shout out to my people in Henrietta. What is up, my family? I love you guys. Hope things are going well at the movie theater. Maybe at other places too, but most importantly there. Um, that's a joke. Thank you, guys. We can, we can laugh. That's fine. It's okay. We can laugh. So we're in a series called Sacred Rhythms, and rhythms are the things that they're supposed to be driving our life like a force toward our goals. But rhythms are the kind of thing that if they're not chosen on purpose, they will be provided to us by our weaknesses and by our tendencies. And so we need rhythms in our life that push us toward our goals and God's goals for our lives. Um, if you know me well, this won't come as a shock to people who know me. I love routines. I love rhythms. I love doing the same thing every day. In fact, you could even say I love being in a rut. That's like my favorite. I love doing it. I find routines very comforting. Um, so for instance, like my morning routine when it comes to breakfast. Um, my breakfast routine, I'll just walk you through it. It starts actually the night before where I lay out um, a water kettle on the stove and a bowl, spoon, knife, two packets of oatmeal, and a small plate. And then I prep the coffee so that it's totally ready to go. Um, I get up in the morning, I come down, first thing I do, start the water on the stove so it starts to boil, it starts to get hot, I turn the coffee on. And then I wait, um, I get two hot pads, put them on the kitchen table, two coasters, put them on the table so that I'm prepped. When the water gets warm but not boiling yet, just where like you can start to kind of hear it a little bit, um, that's the moment that I take the bread, put it into the toaster, drop the toast. Um, then, uh, once the water begins to kind of whistle, but not like scream whistle, just like a little bit, um, pull it off, pour it onto the oatmeal, just enough, put it back, mix it up, take the plate, put it on top of the bowl, create a little convection effect, um, so the oatmeal can kind of cook up. Right about that time is when the toast is done, so the toast will pop, I grab that over, put it on the plate, butter it, butter sides together, cut it diagonally, because I'm an American. Um... Then I take that, I take it over to the table where I put my bowl and plate. I put those down, go back, my coffee just finished. So I'll get my coffee, bring that over with a cup of water, put those down on the two coasters, and I'm ready to enjoy a delicious breakfast that is identical every day. <laughs> and it's awesome. I love it. If you're not into rhythms, that's driving you crazy, but it's fantastic, let me tell you, okay? It's a great time, I love my mornings. Um, so maybe you're a rhythm person, maybe you're not, I don't know, but we all do need some rhythms in our lives. And if we don't choose our most important rhythms, our sinfulness will select the rhythms for us and they will take us toward goals that we don't want to go toward. So we want us that, uh, rhythms that drive us in the right direction. But the rhythm that we're going to be addressing this morning is the rhythm of serving. Um, and really, today is the perfect day to talk about serving because, as you know, of course, today is Mother's Day. And if at the end of the day, we just wanted to give an example of what serving looks like, we should look no further than moms. Like the bottom line, the main statement for today should just be serve like a mother because that's all we would have to do. Moms are amazing. You guys were like, can we laugh? I don't know. Uh, yeah, you can laugh. Okay. Um, moms are amazing at serving. No matter when, no matter where, no matter how or what, they seem to have a superhuman ability to serve others and love them the best that they can. So it's actually, they're so good at it, honestly, it's inspiring. It's somewhat terrifying. 
Um, it's very challenging. Moms are incredible servants. And so we're incredibly grateful for the moms in our lives. And let's just take a moment. Let's thank them, whether you're a mom, you're thanking the, the mother of your children, your grandmother, whoever you're thanking. Let's just take a second and thank moms. Man, we owe so much to the moms in our lives. Um, but for the rest of us that aren't superhuman, um, we probably need some help in this area of serving. And serving can be a really tough rhythm to get into. And I mean, I get it. There's a lot that's going on in our lives. There's a lot on our plates. It can kind of feel like adding one more thing and serving at a church, for instance. That just feels impossible. This morning, however, I want to show you that I don't think it's quite that simple. We might be thinking about serving this whole thing all wrong. And as a result, we actually don't know all that's on the line. And I want to show you this morning that depending on how you're handling this rhythm of serving in your life, you might be stealing from the church. You might be stealing from the church. You might not know it. You might not be doing it on purpose. But there's a chance you're regularly stealing from the local church. Now, if you are a guest with us here today, I want to go ahead and tell you, you are off the hook for this sermon, okay? Go ahead, take a deep breath. breath. This is just, you can relax. Um, I am not talking with you about this necessarily. You need to feel no guilt. Um, but for those of you who are Christ followers, you call this your church home. You call this your church family. This is specifically who I'm addressing this morning um, related to this serving aspect. Um, and I think that those are the folks that could be potentially regularly stealing from the church. And I can basically guarantee that you're not doing this on purpose. Um, you know, but we've all probably got like a childhood story where you, you stole something on accident. You, you know, you're at the age where you don't even realize that stealing is bad. You just kind of like candy bar goes in the pocket and you walk out of the store, right? Uh, hopefully you had somebody in your life that loved you enough to tell you like, that's, you know, not good. Uh, you should take that back or whatever, pay for it. Um, but I think for us as Christians, sometimes many of us are like that. We steal on accident. You probably didn't wake up this morning and think like, huh, I'd like to steal from a nonprofit organization. <laughs> like, I I'm just assuming that's not what anybody did, but there's a decent chance that that's exactly what you did this very morning. So let's talk about it. Join me, if you would, in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 4. And if you're a guest with us here today, I just want to say thank you for being here. You can use one of our Bibles that we provide or however you want to access the Bible. It will be on page 982 if you use one of those Bibles that we provide. <clears throat> We're excited to jump in this together. A little bit of background about the book of 1 Peter. Well, um, it's actually not a book at all. It's actually a letter, and it was written by a guy named Peter. Uh, you can call him Rocky if you'd like. That's actually what his name means. And so he was one of Jesus's closest friends. He was left with a very important leadership role after Jesus returned to heaven. Um, and many of the people that were spreading the Jesus movement around the world in the first century were looking to him for guidance and that made total sense because he had a front row seat to all of Jesus's life and ministry when he was here on earth. So here's this guy trying to bring, bring unity and direction and coherency across a grassroots movement that spanned the entire known world in the first century. There's no Facebook Live. There's no blogging. So he's using letters that would get spread from church to church to keep things working well and keep them moving forward. He was leading and exerting his influence from a distance in the church. Um, so this letter is that kind of a leadership move. It's from Peter, written to a specific set of believers in a specific region. Actually, at the, right at the beginning of the letter, you read this in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces. So he's writing to all the believers in this region um, that he, he lists there. And every Christian in this region for sure would have been able to engage with this letter. It would have been a very big deal. They would have stopped him and like, wow, okay, I wonder what we're doing right when it comes to church. What, what are we doing wrong? What new things about Jesus are we going to find out about? And this would have been a huge deal. There is no doubt that whatever they read, they would have worked hard to begin implementing it immediately. They knew that this letter was ultimately from God. So they were just going to do whatever it was that he said they needed to do. And where we're jumping in is basically right at the end of this letter in chapter four. And he's kind of winding down at, at the end of the letter. And he's just doing sort of like machine gun style, rapid fire principles um, to the people, giving advice, little proverbs, little nuggets in this context. And remember, the people who first got this letter, they would have been, they would have been leaning in. They would have been taking notes as, he, as they heard this. They would have been saying, okay, I get it. What's next? What do we need to do? And they would have just been leaning in. We probably don't always approach the Bible that way, but that's how they would have approached it. So just keep that in mind as we, as we read this verse in 1 Peter 4.10. says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, so here we go. Let's break that down little bit by little bit. He says, each of you. So, that's the Christians in these churches. He's addressing each individual person in each church. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, I think he's referencing spiritual gifts. Question, what are spiritual gifts? And that's, that's valid. The New Testament describes the fact that everyone who is a Christ follower is given abilities by God to serve the church. These gifts are given by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We read actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read this. It says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So there it is. Everyone has something to be used for others. And these gifts, they don't have to be weird or spooky. In fact, in just a little bit, I'm going to talk about how connected they are to our own personalities. But what makes them spiritual gifts is that when someone is a Christ follower, God empowers them to use their talents and their abilities to accomplish something that they could never accomplish without his empowering. Namely, they can use their talents to impact someone's soul. Their spirit, like actual spiritual changes can occur through normal actions. And this is what sets spiritual gifts apart from talents in the first place is where they're used and what they produce. That's really the difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. So what Peter is saying is that each person, each believer should use whatever spiritual gift they have received to do what? To serve others. So who are the others here? Who's he talking about? Well, given that he's talking to believers in the church about behaviors and relationships in the church in this whole section, I would suggest that he's talking about serving other believers in the church. Uh, he's not against serving other people, not at all. I just mean the point that he's making here is that he wanted them to use the gifts that they had each been given to serve other people in the church. How does the verse finish? Each of you should use whatever spiritual gift you have received to serve others in the church as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What does that last line mean? Well, he calls them faithful stewards 
A steward is just someone who has been given authority over something that they don't actually own. So what are they stewarding in this context? He says they're stewarding God's grace in its various forms. What does that mean? I would say, in other words, that the gifts that we have each individually received are little manifestations of God's grace that we each, as Christ followers, have stewardship over. God has given you a unique slice of his grace in the form of your giftedness, and it has been given to you specifically so that you will serve others. Think about that for a second. You have a totally unique and individualized form of God's grace that only you have access to. God's grace has been uniquely given to you in order to administer it to others. You have something in you that is meant for us. And that's pretty amazing if you think about the implications of that. It's actually a little scary because unless you give it to us collectively, we will never have access to the unique version of God's grace that only you are equipped to dispense. So I would say it this way. If you hold it in, we go without. If you hold it in, your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they go without. And God wants to administer grace through you in a completely unique way. And if you choose to hold that grace inside of you, then everyone around you as part of this church has to go without it. And I think we tend to view this a little differently as Christians. When, when we think about our role in the church or the local church, I, we th- think about it this, like, like this. If I serve, I make a positive difference. If I don't serve, I just make no difference at all. And we think of our lack of action as having a neutral impact on the body as a whole. But what I think this verse is making clear is that that whole paradigm is incorrect. If you don't serve, if you don't use your gift, if you don't allow the family of God that you're part of to access your gifts, then you are withholding a form of God's grace that they desperately need. You are keeping to yourself a slice of God's unique power and his grace that you were given in order to steward for the good of others. And this is where I believe that we can actually accidentally steal from the church. When you withhold your God-given ability and your spirit-enabled potential for life change, then you are stealing an essential piece of the formula for success in God's kingdom. You might not mean to. You might not even know that you're doing it. But if you're a Christ follower, then you have been given by God the ability to change lives and you have a version of that power that is 100% unique to you and you're holding it back. You're stealing. When you hold it in, we have to go without. This would be like the best player on a, on a sports team getting to the championship game and being like, nah, I'm good, I'm out. I'm just gonna sit this one out. What, what would the rest of the team do? Right? They, they would lose their minds. They'd be saying, look, We need you. How can we win without you? You make shots that no one else can make. You have talent that nobody else has. You have experience that none of us can dream of. How could we possibly win this game without you? And I think ultimately that's what Peter is saying to us in this verse. He's saying, how can we win without you? How can we win without you? How could the church fulfill the purpose that God has intended for it unless the grace that he has given to us as a tool is used to its full capacity? We are stewards of that grace. It has been given to us for a purpose. So how can we win unless we're all on board? How could we win without you? 
We are a team. We're a body. We're an interconnected and interdependent group of people. And we can't win without you. And without you. And without you. And without you. And without me. And the crazy thing is, in this whole thing, is that God could easily do whatever he wanted in the universe without utilizing us at all. But he decided to establish a system where people are part of the plan. In fact, they aren't just like a small piece of the plan off to the side. God has chosen to make people the primary vehicle of his operation in the world. And so the more dependent we are on God, the more we have to recognize his power at work through other people. Greater dependence on God actually results in greater dependence on God's people. So while it might kind of sound weird, I really think we can't win without you. Can our church keep moving forward? Yeah, I mean, of course it can. Will God build his church in spite of us? Yeah, that's what he's been doing all along. But we will never be all that God wants us to be as a body without every single one of us on board. So if that's true, what are we going to do about it? What do we need to do now? I think that this probably leaves us with some questions, and that's valid. It probably deserves a little clarification. So let's go after some questions that I think might come to mind as we think about how to make this real in our lives. The first question is this, so what does it look like? So what does it look like? And I think that that's good. Um, You might be wondering, this seems a little vague. Well, Peter, I think this is great. He actually gives us a sense of what it might look like in the very next verse. 1 Peter 4.11, if you'll look. He says this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Basically, Peter gives two examples of what it might look like to fulfill this rhythm. Think of these as basically just two random examples that he gives to illustrate the point. This is not some exhaustive list of all the ways that you could serve. Uh, He's just saying, look, look, if your thing is speaking, then do it with all that you've got. If your thing is serving, well then do it with a divine level of strength and with determination. He's just saying that, look, whatever your giftedness is, lean into it. Do it with all of your might, recognizing that God is the one who gave you this ability and he infused it with his divine power so that when it's used properly in the context of a local church, it will be used to impact hearts and to change lives. So don't just show up and half-heartedly do your thing. He's saying go all out. If you're wondering what this is going to look like, according to Peter, to serve in the local church, he's just saying this. He's saying, serve with all that you got. Serve with all that you got. If you want to know what it looks like, that's what it looks like. And I recognize that's improper usage. It should be served with all that you've got. You've, with the contraction, for all of you grammarians out there. But we're just going with it for impact, okay? Serve with all you got. People never find those as funny as I'm hoping. Um, He's just saying, do it to the max. I should stop telling jokes to the max. Um, So, but what if you're asking another question, and the question is, what is my gift? Like, I'm in, I I follow you, I want to do this, I desire to use my gifts, but you're not even sure what your gifts are or how they're relevant or what that would look like. And so at a very practical level, my answer for this question is super simple. It's just try something. Try something. I don't have a verse for that. Um, I don't think you need one. Because it's just that simple. We tend to think of spiritual gifts as something that's like really spooky or something that can only be used up front. Like speaking, we think, wow, well, I'm not a speaker, so I don't don't know what my spiritual gift is. 
But from what we can tell in the New Testament, I think that there's really no strong indication that there's some definitive list of all of the spiritual gifts. If there was intended to be that kind of a list, you would expect there to be a lot of very similar things on the list and there to be a lot of overlap on the list we have in the New Testament. And there's just not. There's a lot of variation. And the lists that do exist actually include a whole bunch of just regular, what we would call skills and personality traits. For instance, hospitality and administration are literally on gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. I'm not kidding. Your Aunt Matilda, who loves to have people over and bake pies and is a sweet old lady who loves Jesus, her pies are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm serious. That's a thing. Like hospitality. God has given normal, everyday people a set of normal, everyday talents that when they are utilized for God's kingdom, they are transformed into spiritual gifts that can change hearts for God's kingdom. So I'm serious. If you want to know what your gifts are, then start trying something and keep doing what you're good at and what God uses. The fact that you like meeting new people and that you love small talk, that's not an accident. That's a gift. And we have an environment where you can use it. I would encourage you, use it. The fact that you hate small talk and would rather make 20 corporate budgets before you would ever be a greeter at a church, not an accident. We have an environment for that and you can use your gifts. So the best way to figure out how God wired you to uniquely distribute his grace is to start serving somewhere and find what clicks. You'll know it clicks if it gives you life as you do it and it changes people's lives as you do it. Our church is full of people who are detailed, organized, shy, talkative, spontaneous, who love babies, who can't stand babies, who love teenagers, who are terrified of teenagers, who are great musicians, people who skip the singing part of every service. You know who you are. You're the ones who laughed. You are, there, there are amazing teachers. There are people who are great with numbers, who love spreadsheets. There are people who are wealthy and love to give. People who barely have enough to meet, make ends meet, and they love to give. We've got people all over the map. And every single one of those people are using their gifts to steward God's grace to make it available to the people of this church. And if you don't know where to start, then start by just trying something. You don't have to stay there forever. But remember, if you hold it in, then we go without. Don't sit back waiting for a perfect fit and then spend years stealing from the church. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good because we can't win without you. But a final question would be this. How will I have time? (laughs) How will I have time in the midst of all that I have going on? And the answer is you won't unless it becomes a rhythm. You won't unless it becomes a rhythm. And I will say that's sort of the whole point of a rhythm. We establish routines in order to get ourselves on track. We make things that we value automatic to make things that we value mindless. Not mindless as in I do them without caring, but mindless as in I do them without thinking. And I want to give you just a little inside scoop about our bands on Sunday morning here at Northridge. You might have noticed that at all of our campuses, the band members wear headphones. Um, why do they do that? Well, they do that because our band members are hearing things that you um, in, in the audience don't get to hear. And if you're familiar with music, what they're listening to is called a click track. 
It's just a metronome, and it plays in our ears at the appropriate speed. It's like click, 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 click. Um, actually, it's probably just better if I show you an example of what it sounds like. This is an example of what a click track sounds like, what they're hearing in their ears, over top of one of the songs that we sang this morning. So let's check this out. That's right. That annoying sound is in their ears as they play and as they sing, find a band member and give them a hug. <laughs> but that sound is what's keeping our bands together. But if you're a musician and you're not used to playing with it, it's really annoying. And in fact, it's really, really hard. Because before you play with like a perfect metronome, you think like, yeah, I got pretty good rhythm. I got tempo. And then you play with something that's never wrong. And you're like, wow, I'm way off. And it takes a bunch of practice to get used to. But it keeps us together as a band. It allows us to play along with videos. That's how it all syncs up with the lights and all that kind of stuff. It's a rhythm that we follow that's designed to make us better. It's hard, but it makes us better. It's hard at first, but it's worth it. And that's the kind of rhythm I believe that we need to get into related to serving. A rhythm that we follow that's designed to make us better. To make it a rhythm, a habit, a no-brainer. And the thing is, this might not actually be as hard as you think it is, because um, that's, that's really because of something called attend one, serve one. If you've been around, you might have heard us talk about this before. If you're here at any of our locations right now, which you are, what you are doing right now is you are at the very least attending one service, and that takes approximately 75 minutes of your Sunday morning. And the idea behind attend one, serve one, pretty complicated, is that you attend one service, something that you're already doing, and then you serve another service in order to make it possible for other people to attend. So you serve others and attend one. You serve others. It only takes another about 75 minutes of your Sunday. You're still out around noon. The game will still be on. Don't panic. Restaurants are still open except for Chick-fil-A. Um, this is actually not at all a monumental time commitment, but it does have a monumental impact. Because you might not realize it, but someone is serving you right now so that you're able to attend this service. You are maybe without knowing it, reaping the benefits of the spiritual gifts of other people in our church. In fact, as far as we can tell, about 44% of our church serves about one time a month. And then about 10% of our church serves three times or more a month. That's pretty amazing. We have some incredible people. And at this very moment, someone is keeping an eye on your baby in a safe, clean nursery. Someone made you coffee for free at our portable campuses. Someone is operating a camera that makes me visible, and I recognize that's not ideal. Someone greeted you as you walked in this morning. Someone arrived at your campus at our portables at 6 a.m. and set up everything you see that looks like it's part of a church. Someone at all of our campuses, people are wearing secret service looking headsets and they're like looking for suspicious behavior and keeping us safe at our campuses. Um, someone put together a schedule of teachers and small group leaders to give kids an amazing experience that will point them to Jesus. Someone will be waiting outside of our doors at all of our services um, in order to meet new people in the lobby afterwards. Those are the extroverts, for the record. Um, someone is praying for our services across our campuses. Someone has prepared for years and spent hundreds of hours practicing their instrument to deliver professional quality music at your campus. 
And that's just some of the people who are serving on a Sunday morning. That's to say nothing of the hundreds of community group leaders and dozens of small group leaders who invest in our students on a Wednesday night. And that's what it looks like to use your gifts to serve others. And you're experiencing it right now. And there are so many people here this morning who I want to say, you're already attending one and serving one. And I want to say thank you. Thank you so much. You are an amazing testament to what God can do when people are willing to be faithful stewards of the grace that God has given them. God's work in Rochester through Northridge Church is the product of your sacrifice. And thank you doesn't even close to cover it. But God does not and he will not overlook your service. But for many others, you've been reaping the benefits of people's service for a very long time. And I just want to say, it is our pleasure. We are honored to be able to present God's word in engaging environments for people of all ages, week after week after week. It's our pleasure. But if you're a Christ follower here today and you call Northridge your church home and you don't have a serving role, there's a chance you are withholding the grace that you were given to serve others and you're stealing from the church. And that might sound like a guilt trip, but let me tell you why I think it's not. I think you should view this as something that's empowering. Rather than saying, wow, you're really pouring on the guilt with that whole stealing analogy, I think you should think about it like this. I'm saying, I have something vital to contribute. I am an essential component in the recipe of success for God's plan on this earth. And, and we recognize that this is all by God's grace and through his strength. But still, we have a role to play in stewarding God's grace that he has entrusted to us. So no matter how small your contribution is, we will forever be an incomplete picture of what we were intended to be without what you have to offer. It's like doing a puzzle. You don't have to be a puzzle expert to know that when you get to the end of a puzzle, if you're missing a couple pieces, it's super annoying, right? It's the worst. Can you get a sense of what the whole picture is without a piece or two? Yeah, yeah, you can, but it's just super frustrating that you're missing a couple. So I think we should think about our giftedness and your contribution that way. You are a piece in a puzzle. No matter how small your piece is, the puzzle will forever be incomplete without your presence. God has given you a unique slice of his grace that was intended for his people. And when you hold it in, we go without. So the puzzle can't be finished without you. Puzzle can't be finished without you. And so on your way out today, just as a reminder of this, you're going to receive a puzzle piece. And it's just a simple way to remind yourself, if you're part of this church and you are not part of serving, that our puzzle will never be finished without your peace. We will forever be cut off from a slice of God's grace that he wants to distribute through you. And so this is a photo of the puzzle that if we were to put all of our pieces together, this is what the puzzle would look like. I got to be honest, it's not important at all. I just knew I'd get emails about it. So I wanted to show you it. It's the first puzzle that comes up on Amazon. So that's why it's there. <laughs> but if somebody wants to orchestrate like a, a party where we all come and bring our puzzle pieces and put them, that'd be terrible. Never mind. Okay. Um, the step I'm encouraging every single person here today to take is to maximize your serving potential. So you'll see at the bottom of your connection card at the program that you received when you walked in or online on the connect tab, you'll see some boxes that you can check. And I don't know what your next step is, but I believe that every single person in this room could have a next step related to the rhythm of serving. And I would encourage all of you, take out that card right now, write your name on the top of it, 
Elbow the person next to you if they aren't doing it yet. We want to get every single person to fill out this card. For a lot of people today, you need to begin this process by beginning to attend one, serve one. Beginning to contribute to use your gifts. And you could write some areas that you think might be a good match. Or maybe you're already doing that, but you want to begin to do it more frequently. Again, we have a percentage of our church that's doing this literally every week and more. Those are some incredible people. And I believe that the attend one, serve one threshold should be the absolute minimum for every Christ follower who's here today. And I I don't want to sound like a jerk or like I'm being dogmatic. I'm just trying to show you what I think is the most natural way for you to apply 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 in our local church context. There are roles available at every campus in dozens of ways. You could work with kids. You could work with kids that have higher needs. You could create a welcoming environment through greeting or the next environments or our info centers. You could work on our cafe teams or our setup teams or our repack teams or band members or starting point teams or production teams or ASL interpreting teams or our security teams. We have ways for people to get involved. Just check that box and you can drop that card in the basket at the end of our services. But the thing is that when you check that box, which I encourage every single person to do, that will not be the real moment of decision. The real moment of decision will be when you get a text, email, or phone call from somebody this week following up. Will you respond? That's the moment where the rubber will meet the road and you'll determine whether or not you can get connected and you'll use your gift. And guess what? I'm actually convinced that you will. I'm convinced that our church can answer this call. I have such a high degree of belief in the potential of the local church and specifically Northridge Church. God wants to do incredible things in our church and continue to do them through the amazing people that he has given a slice of his grace. And I'm convinced that you can be part of that. And when you do, you will join the ranks of those who are using their gifts for the good of others. And imagine what it could look like if the percentage of people who are serving every week were to double. Or if just 10% more people were involved in in our kids' ministry. Imagine what God could do in our city with that much more of his grace unleashed in this area. You will be able to know that you are on the path to freely sharing and distributing to others the unique slice of God's grace that has been given to you to share. You will be starting a new rhythm. A rhythm that could change not just your life, but the life of people around you. So as I close, here's the thing I need us to wrestle with a reality. I have something unique to contribute to God's movement on this earth that only I can contribute. And the question I have to answer is this, will I hold it in? Let me pray. God, we're grateful that you've given us your son, the ultimate example of service, and that as we follow you and love you, we can mimic him and be loving servants of others. I pray that you would unleash your grace on this city through your people that we'd be able to be a part of that movement. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.